Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. The hosts are Ava Thanheiser, Joel Amadon, and me, Dusty Jones. Today, we are talking with Dr. Holly Lynn Lee, who is a distinguished professor of mathematics and statistics education and a senior faculty fellow in the Friday Institute at North Carolina State University. We are talking to Holly Lynn because of her experiences as a mathematics teacher educator and statistics teacher educator. We'd also like to talk with her about the growing role of data science in education. Holly Lynn, welcome. Uh, could you take a minute to introduce yourself beyond what we've already shared? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm Holly Lynn. And um, so I've been at NC State since 2000. Um, I'm kind of one, one, one of those um, folks that goes a place and stays there. And um, so I've been my, my whole uh, PhD career um, at North Carolina State University, and I absolutely love it. And um, I do, um, I, at the Friday Institute, I actually direct um, a hub for innovation in statistics education. Um, and um, uh, it's high rise uh, for short. And um, we, uh, we do a lot of different projects related to statistics teacher education, as well as statistics and data science education at the K-12 level. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, first question we like to ask people is, how did you start teaching mm -hmm. math teachers? Yeah, or, so, or maybe why? <laughs> yeah. So I was getting my master's degree in the mid 1990s. Uh, so yes, that's dating me. Um, and I, um, I started doing professional development with local school districts on how to use the graphing calculator. And um, I was kind of one of those early adopters of the graphing calculator in my own classroom. And so started, you know, sharing that with, with other teachers. And it really inspired me to want to um, be a math teacher educator. Um, and uh, so, you know, went on to my doctoral degree at University of Virginia. And when I was there, I got involved in a project with my advisor, Joe Garofalo, um, on developing teacher education curriculum materials um, for incorporating different technology tools like spreadsheets, geometer sketchpad, logo, fathom. Um, and, you know, part of that back in, I think it was maybe 1998, we, we did some of the first kind of pre-conference workshops at, a, at an AMTE conference, um, helping faculty learn how to use different technology tools mm -hmm. um, and think about it in their classrooms. And, and from then on, I was just completely hooked of, you know, being all in and being wanted to be you know, involved in mathematics teacher education. Awesome. Were you teaching high school uh, when you were working on your master's degree or um, high school and middle school. High school and middle school. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so di different different places. Before getting, going to my master's degree, I was um, I had taught both high school and middle school. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, one of the things we like to do with the podcast is uh, let people who are new to teaching math teachers in on some of the secret sauce or the advice or the tips that we might uh, give people. So. Uh, what would you like to have known when you started teaching math teachers? I think it would be um, probably how hard it is to get sustained change in classrooms. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, you know, you, you, 
I became a teacher educator because I thought that I could reach more students by reaching the teachers. And I do still think that's true. But I think that there's the change is so slow within the educational systems. And um, there's so many barriers that teachers face in, 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 in their daily work. Um, and so really recognizing that change in practice um, takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And that it's also that, that it is, you know, the, the change is not just the what happens in the classroom but it's related to what is valued on assessments. It's Mm -hmm. connected to policies that are at the district level or the state level. And um, those all, those all can impact change for positive ways and, and, you know, impede it in negative ways. Right. And I don't, I did not have a good handle. I did not have a good perspective on that when I first started. I thought, oh, I'm just going to like teach these teachers some great things. And, you know, by next year, everyone's going to be doing these things. Yeah. (laughs) What was, what was, do you think some of the best advice that you received uh, when you were starting out? Yeah. So I I think it was about don't being, don't be afraid to create something new or to do something in a new way. Um, So um, yeah, I I had, you know, I I would come back in my doctoral degree um, during my doctoral degree and I'd be talking to to my advisors about, you know, things that I was observing out out in the field because I was supervising student teachers or whatever, or doing an internship. And they would be like, well, if you don't like it, then create create a a different solution. And, Mm. and it was, you know, it was this way of like stepping back of saying, okay, wait a minute, use your brain power and your, your creativity and your intuition to create a different solution if you don't like what's actually going on. And I think that that has propelled me throughout of to really consider myself as a designer, um, um, an educational designer, and that part of my work is, is about designing solutions, whether it's for students or whether it's for teachers. That's cool. Can I jump in? Sure. Yeah. Holly Lynn, what, what, what's something that stood out to you? Like, Hey, I want, I want to attack that thing that I just noticed. Yeah. So it, 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 I, I think the best um, there, there's two kind of um, big, um, big things that happened in my career. The first was during my doctoral degree um, when I was working in classrooms, um, elementary classrooms, trying to teach some kids some things around probability. And um, I couldn't find some software that I th- that did the things that I thought should be done. And so my, my, one of my advisors said, well, then create your own software. And I was like, what? (laughs) So so probability Explorer was born. That's exactly right. You know? And and so I created my own software to do what I thought it should do. And, and it it ended up being used in my dissertation as well as some of the early studies that I did um, um, as a faculty member. And, and then I think the second one happened in more recently in 2014, when um, somebody said to me, you know, you've been doing things with teacher education, how are you going to get that to scale? And, mm-hmm. you know, would mm-hmm. you like to create a MOOC? And I was like, no, <laughs> that sounds really hard. And, um, you know, a MOOC being a massive open yeah, yeah. online course and um, for, but, but specifically aimed at teachers. And, um, you know, I thought about it for a little while and then I decided that, yes, I could take this pedagog, I could take that on and do it. And um, it was one of the most pedagogically challenging things I've ever done, but it was absolutely worth it. And and really shifted my focus in my, in the last part of my, this most recent part of my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how that just taps into like, Hey, you hear, here's some agency and like, you know, mm-hmm. how, you, how do you exercise? And like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that was possible. Like, make my own program. That's awesome. Make my own software. That's right. beautiful. Right. 
thinking about this advice question, um, and maybe it's already come up, but to the people that you work with who are starting out or to, mm-hmm. to others that you might not ever meet, what, what advice would you give to someone starting out as a, a gotta, teacher educator? Yeah. You got to get connected with your peeps. You have to find, <laughs> you have to find your people and um, you got to get involved. You know, I mean, I feel like I grew up through AMTE um, with the many friends and colleagues, um, many that are in this, in this podcast, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that, um, that, you know, you, you make those connections and you, you find interesting things to do together and that you don't have to do things alone. Um, so, you know, work with, uh, find others, work with them, work with people that you like and create new things and, um, you know, trust your instincts and that, um, you, you became a math teacher educator because you had something to share. So trust that and figure out the best ways to share it. So let me follow up on that. Um, let's assume you don't quite know how to find your peeps. What would Mm -hmm. you recommend on how to go about that? So I think that at the state level, there's, there's, you know, um, lots of different organizations, um, you know, even if it's the math, you know, your local NC, um, state level NCTM, um, uh, and you'll find other teacher educators there within, um, within that group, um, coming to conferences like AMTE, and I know it can be, nowadays, it's kind of hard to do these, these types of traveling, but going to these conferences um, makes a real difference, and not being shy of just reaching out, so if, you know, if you see an art, you know, if you read an article by somebody and, you, and the idea really, you know, sticks with you um, and you want to have a conversation about it, we're a pretty friendly group. Like reach out and ask to have a conversation. I want to second that because I think not just that, but people love to hear that their work was read, right? Mm-hmm. So by reaching out, you're actually doing them a favor and you yeah. might do yourself a favor, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I'll just third that if if that's a thing. Um, <laughs> so I've 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 done that a few times, and it's always I've always got good feedback from the people that I've said I really like this article. This was this helped me think. Um, right. And I always get good feedback with that. Yeah, yeah. Or you go to a session at a conference and you didn't have time to actually talk to the people afterwards, and so reach out to them. You know, when you get back home and um, start a conversation. I mean, I really do think that um, we all recognize that we are better, better together, mm-hmm. and um, that we all learn a lot from each other. I'm just going to put an exclamation point and all that. Yeah, reach out. Yay! <laughs> So Holly Lynn, you are active in, in a lot of things. Uh, you, you mentioned some, uh, some of those earlier. Uh, so how do you, how do you get things done? What's, what's, uh, what's the process that, that, uh, that helps you kind of achieve those things or, or take care of the minutia, whatever, what, what's your, what's your process look like? Yeah. So one is I work with people that um, have skills and perspectives that complement mine. And um, not that they are identical to mine, but that they, they complement me. And, um, and we, we learn how to, to think together, to produce together. And, um, you know, the way that I work with colleagues now is certainly, I think, a little bit different than how I did in, in the beginning, because 
I think, you know, early in my career, even just the technologies that we had um, to do collaborative work were different. And, you know, my goodness, I remember many conversations with James Tarr through like an old archaic Skype account, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when we're sitting in our offices and trying to, you know, trying to have conversations together and, and do our work. Um, But we didn't have things like a Google Doc. And um, so, you know, writing together was like passing back and forth a Word document. Um, um, But, um, you know, so we, I think we can get things done a little bit um, uh, more efficiently now. And, you know, and, and as you develop your, your working relationship with others, you know, whose skills, you know, who, who's best at doing what. And so whether it's designing curriculum materials or whether it is um, writing a paper or preparing for that class that you're co-teaching, um, you know, you, you draw upon each other's strengths. Um, and so that's, you have to learn how to not believe that you have to do everything yourself. But I let a lot of things fall through the cracks too. The busier I get, there's a lot of things that don't get done. <laughs> and then you take a sabbatical to try to catch up and get them done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those, those things in the cracks, I, I need, sometimes I feel like I just need to, you know, get the pocket knife out and, and dig that out of the crack. And then sometimes I'm like, let's just leave that thing in the crack. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have, I, I have finally like thrown out, you know, some data and thrown out half written articles. Like, you know what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody wants to read that yeah. anymore. <laughs> just throw it away. <laughs> I had this really great idea about trying to develop some, trying to use some sort of software to develop something to help develop a statistical idea. And it sat in my brain for four years and now Desmos does it. So mm-hmm. I didn't even have to tell them. I'm not yeah. going to let them know, Hey, that was my idea. Um, Cause apparently a lot of <laughs> people wanted to do it. Or it. Not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great job, Dusty. Great job. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, so Holly Lynn, one of the reasons we asked you on here was to talk about data science. Uh, so mm-hmm. can you, can you tell us what data science is? Can you define that for us? Yeah, yeah. So I think you need to think about data science as being not a discipline, but being multidiscipline. Um, So it's a multidisciplinary um, field, and it combines skills and reasoning um, in mathematics and and statistics, along with computational thinking. Um, and some computer science skills to to really investigate and solve problems that are in a real world context or different domains like medicine, environmental science, business, education, sports, whatever, social, political issues. You know, data science exists because we have big problems to solve that produce big data <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and that there are that there is data that can be collected in these different domains and that we can harvest that data in smart ways to try to help find solutions, to look for patterns and trends and, um, and, and to think about how, um, how it, we can gain insights from that data to propose different actions and solutions. Data science is different than statistics. Um, it, it includes statistics, but you know, um, people will say that I've heard statisticians say that, that you know statistics is an art and science of data, and so a lot of statisticians um, have kind of made the claim, well, we're data scientists, like we've been data scientists because those are the statisticians that are not necessarily living in theory. They're not developing the statistical methods because that is the science behind statistics, using that mathematics and the probability concepts um, to 
to, to create new statistical methods. And we need that. But mm-hmm. statisticians who are solving real problems and using the statistics tools are doing that art and science of data. They are doing data science. And, um, um, you know, data science cannot be done without strong computing tools. And that's a major difference. And, um, it, 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 you know, when we talk about data science in schools, that has to be a major difference. We, we, we don't do it without, <laughs> without strong technology tools. Like what kind of tools are you talking about? So certainly there are industry standard tools like Python and R, um, but there's also more friendly tools like Tableau and spreadsheets and um, tools like CodeApp um, and um, the common online data analysis platform. Um, that's what CodeApp stands for. Um, you know, back in the back in the days, we had tools like Fathom and Tinkerplots, and those tools were really uh, helped us learn statistical ideas and explore data in new ways. Um, you know, even though I started my career with helping teachers learn to use a graphing calculator. A graphing calculator is a real impediment in making progress um, in statistics and data science education. Um, it is a ubiquitous tool that, that people have access to, but it's not a tool that's used <laughs> at all to do anything serious um, as far as exploring data. You just can't look at mul- large multivariate data sets um, on a graphing calculator. So I have used CodeUp in my teaching and I'm wondering if you wanna spend like two or three minutes just sharing what that is because it's a user-friendly it is. Um, thing that people could start using pretty much without Absolutely. learning a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it was purposely designed to be that way. So, you know, it, it comes out of the Concord Consortium um, and Bill Finzer, who was the original designer of Fathom um, that, that was originally released back in 2000, um, you know, started developing CODEP because he, he knew that schools were moving towards not wanting to install software, you know, that we needed, we, we, we needed browser-based tools. And so that's kind of what, how CODEP was initially envisioned. And um, it really is um, set up so that you can import data um, in a um, very easy to manage um, table format that kind of looks like a spreadsheet. So you can have your rows and columns, but you can also rearrange that data to be hierarchical in format so that you can see, you know, you could group your data, for example, by states. So if you had data that was about different states, you could actually, uh, w- with a simple, simple move, with a drag and drop move, you could rearrange that table so that all of, uh, all of, the, this, all of the data around Alabama were grouped together. You know, mm-hmm. it, uh, and then you could do computations just for Alabama, things like that. And then there's lots of different graphing tools in there. And one of the nice things about CodeApp is that, first of all, there's a update to it about every month. And um, and so their, their model of development is that they work with different research projects um, that, that, that need certain... Um, certain features built into CodeApp. And so that's how it expands. And so the whole community benefits by this, um, by this collective development. And one of my projects actually had a partnership with CodeApp, mm-hmm. um, uh, two of my projects actually. And so, you know, we, we've been able to be on the front line designing features of that. And so it's a multi-representational tool where you can look at data in different ways and they're all linked together. And we certainly know from a lot of research, even back in the days of looking at um, 
technology tools around learning you know, functions, that if you can connect multiple representations together, it really assists the learner in thinking about um, that phenomena, whatever that phenomena might be, in that mathematical or statistical object in, in new and interesting ways. Does that, does that give the, um, I would love to hear, um, Ava, if you have um, some insight into how you would describe CODAP. Yeah, to me, um, CODAP was just like, like I've also played with Tinkerplots just because mm -hmm. one of my good friends is a stats educator. So you kind of get into these things. Yeah. But CODAP is nice because like you can think, do things by maps and it's just oh, like yes. somebody who doesn't have a lot of background, like they have a census data, they have, the, and they have data in there already. So you don't uh -huh. even have to bring your own, you can play with it. Yep. And I've used it in classes where I've just said, okay, here, look at the educational data um, mm -hmm. here and play with it. And I, I think it's just a really powerful tool. And I kind of forgot about it. So I'm so glad you mentioned it again. Because I'm like, yeah, that, that exists. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and you're right that they've, they have these different capabilities um, where they've, they've built in um, samplers where you can actually draw data from census. You can draw data from the NOA. NOAA, excuse me. Mm -hmm. um, you you can. Um, there's a California um, um, survey, a health survey that they that they um, automatically can link into, and just you know, you so you have this large population of data, and you can pick different variables that you want, and go ahead and, and sample, and bring in a random sample. Um, and it and visualizes, like visualization, is something I've been really into because I mm -hmm. do think that. Um, there's a communication problem as well. Yes, that we have in like in math education and stats education in the news everywhere, right? Like, uh, so finding ways to communicate math or large data in a way that people can wrap their heads around it. So mm -hmm. I think that's where the code up also is a good start. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's not just in math and statistics. I mean, being being able to uh, um, unpack and visualize data in social studies, in um, in economics, in science, um, the science educators actually do a lot with CODAP mm -hmm. and a lot with, with, with data in their curriculum. In, in many ways, they're a little ahead of us. That's, that's really awesome to hear. I know the pre-service teachers that I've worked with really, as soon as they get into CODAP are like, where has this been my whole life? Yeah. And um, they're really excited to use it. And I, I like that, that the students are, or the, the users of CODAP are making their own displays. They're making decisions to make the display look like how they want to, or if it does something, they're like, wait, that's not what I wanted. Um, right. They can adjust that instead of clicking on, I want a scatter plot or I want a bar graph. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's and, really cool. And, you know, and one of the things that we we do a lot in my projects is we go into classrooms and use tools like CODAP with students and capture hours and hours and hours of video. Um, and then we use those video to create teacher education materials so mm -hmm. that, you know, teachers can have access to actually see, my goodness, you know, within the first 20 minutes of a student getting their hand on CODAP, look what they were able to do and the kinds of conversations they were able to have. And um you know, I think those types of videos, we all know that, that video cases, um, you know, can be incredibly a powerful tool in teacher education. And, um, 
you know, my group has been one of the ones that have contributed some of the um, some of the videos related to teaching statistics in classrooms and working with data. So you know how we said in the beginning, just reach out to people you want to work with. I yeah. feel like I want to work with you, Hollyland. Yay! <laughs> I'm all in, Ava. Let's go. <laughs> having having worked with Hollyland, uh, yes, you you do, um, Ava. <laughs> so I will, having said having having done other projects with her together, it's been fantastic. Um, Holly Lynn, going back to the data science thing, I know we never really left it, but yeah. so how can how can math teacher educators incorporate data science into their work or what what do we need to be thinking about? Yeah. Do I need to, you know, squeeze two things out of the syllabus so I can put data science <laughs> in there? What what does this look like? Yeah. So first of all, it is hard because all of our teacher education programs are set up differently at different institutions. It's the, it's the beauty and the pain of math teacher education is there is no one formula that, mm -hmm. uh, that exists across all different institutions. And um, so it really, you know, it really does depend on what you need to squeeze <laughs> as, you were, as you were talking about, Dusty. But, but just to, first of all, just some awareness that, um, you know, Statistics and probability have been part of the math curriculum for a long time, but they get left out by many teachers in K-12 settings for a variety of different reasons, but they also get left out by our colleagues in mathematics teacher education. If you're not comfortable with the topic and you are designing your class, you're not going to address it. And, um, um, but at the same time, there are several states like Oregon, like California, like Virginia, that are creating different high school pathways that actually include courses in data science. And, yes. and, yes. Get, and get, guess who they're going to expect to teach those courses? Mm -hmm. It's your math teachers, because there is no certification for being a data science teacher or being a statistics teacher. By default, they say, well, let's just give it to the math teachers. So your math, your future math teachers in several years are going to be in high school settings that um, are going to have these, um, the, the AP statistics curriculum is, has been increasing. Um, well, those students enrolling in that curriculum has been increasing drastically um, as well as AP computer science. Um, and data science is really kind of the merging of those two and giving it as, a, as an accessible option to everybody so that you don't have to take an AP class to be able to actually mm -hmm. do things with computers and statistics and data. And um, whether it is, you know, the states that are creating these pathways in a specific course, or it's just um, states finding new ways to actually bring in more data and data science-like things, even if they don't call it data science, into the curriculum. And I, and I think that's the key thing is that it may not be called data. It doesn't have to be called data science to look like data science. Um, There's so also this like really interesting and convenient convergence between teaching math for social justice and yes. data science. Yes. And so I think we're, we're like tackling a lot of things that the field is currently trying to figure out how to do by right. paying attention to these things. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I don't think I yet answered Dusty's questions about what, what should math teacher educators do to incorporate data science, you know, and in, in prepare these future teachers. And certainly 
you know, I think all of us are wanting to attend to more equity and social justice issues um, with our with our future teachers and exploring larger data sets around um, environmental science, around climate change, around housing and food insecurity um, are, are wonderful ways, um, especially um, Ava, like bringing in the, the idea of connections with geography and place-based and, and how different, um, different places um, in our communities might have um, different access to, <laughs> to, to different resources. Um, and you can see that visualized through data. Um, and and I, I think it's a, it's a great way to bring those ideas in and be addressing them as well as introducing your teacher, educate, uh, teacher education students to the ideas of solving problems through data. So, you know, you, you, you have to, you do have to think about what to push out. Um, and and um, that's, it's not an easy thing. Um, I do think you should be talking with your colleagues in the statistics and math departments if you don't live in a statistics and math department. Um, so that, um, that the courses that, that the teachers are taking um, that, they're, that are content focused are also including um, a good dose of um, data science concepts. Um, and that you are making room in your teacher ed curriculum um, for addressing issues around data literacy and, um, uh, and improving the learning of statistics and data science. And I, I would say that most, um, I mean, Dusty, I think you would probably agree with me that, that and you might not, so I shouldn't say that, but- um, We'll that, see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> that that what, what we do and what, what a lot of, things that are being um, promoted as good data science education, statistics educators have been doing, feel like they've been doing for a while. Mm -hmm. I do and, agree with that. And, um, but it's not the typical thing that happens when we, when we say, oh, we have to teach statistics. You mm -hmm. know, what, what typically happens is you give students a list of numbers that has no content and you say, compute this, you know, and tell me what the mean is, or, mm -hmm. you know, create this box plot and just report out, um, you know, the IQR and, yeah. you know, or plot these, plot these, uh, these two bivariate, you know, two variables and give me the regression model and interpret the, interpret the meaning of the slope. And like, mm -hmm. that's it. <laughs> yeah. Know. I have found that in um, my courses where I teach the content courses for pre-service elementary teachers, and I happen to be in a math department, that even understanding what the mean is mm -hmm. and the two interpretations of the mean is mind boggling, right? Like what, what does this number, like we add it all together and divide, what, why are we doing that? And what does that represent? And is there other ways to get to it? So it's, that, that's the other thing I think is important. It's not just this thing that is like you get to when you have tons of data. It's actually like it starts really early on when we make sense of concepts. Right, right. But I would say that the math educators tend to be drawn to the, the, the kinds of um, ideas that you were just talking about, Ava, of you know, really understanding the mathematical um, aspect of the concept of the mean. And because that's the that, that's what we are comfortable with, but really trying to know and interpret the mean along with other measures and knowing that, you know, the mean doesn't tell you everything. Yes. And you really have to understand something about the distribution behind it um, yes. and the sample of data um, in order mm -hmm. to actually effectively use it. And if we don't ever get our students there, then they're still living in the math world of yes. understanding the concept of the mean. 
And so and I let think we, we need you both. A, a tidbit of information that I learned way too late in life. There is actually a measure called the MAD score mm-hmm. that you can make sense of that helps you understand the distribution because I refused to teach standard deviation. I was like, we can't make sense of that. I can't teach this. And I complained to my stats educators and they're like, why are you not teaching the mad? And I'm like, the what? You know, so there's things that are out there that are really useful that we need to make sense of. Right, right. There are statistical tools and, and the mean absolute deviation is one of them. Um, and instead of using a, a standard deviation, we can use the absolute deviations of how mm-hmm. each data point varies from that mean. Yeah. And that we can like understand what that measures, right? Versus the, under, undoing a formula of the standard deviation is really hard when you're an elementary mm-hmm. educator. Mm-hmm. So I got a question for you, Holly Lynn. So yeah. when I first started teaching high school mathematics, 2002, we used the core core plus curriculum, yes. which had, you know, the different strands mixed in the kind of philosophy was, for those that are familiar was one of the, the uh, NSF funded curricula. And actually we, we were field testing the second iteration of that mm-hmm. curriculum. So mm-hmm. trying to identify, like, if you're going to take one last math class, what would you take? So we had some algebra, some geometry, some statistics and probability, and even some discrete mathematics that was all incorporated in. And it felt like, I mean, if when I went back to grad school and I was doing my grad level statistics class, we were doing some of the same things that I was teaching to my sophomores. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they're really getting the difference between, you know, what, how does statistics and probability feed into each other and looking at the different measures and things, you know, even meet absolute deviation. We were talking about that way back, you know, as in my freshman level class and sophomore level class that I was teaching. And so it felt like that was a step forward with the And so it felt like, and then I think the, the high school that I was teaching at stepped back from that curriculum where it was like, no, that's where we need to be going. Like to have that, to see how all those things fit together. How does algebra and statistics and probably, how do they all fit together? And how can we ask these big questions? Like we were looking at some, some data sets that were actually out in the world, or we created some of our own data sets. And, and like, and so I don't know, like, what are, what are the things that we need to be doing as, you know, teacher educators to think like, how do we keep some of these things going? Like, they, these are, these are good things. These, this, this progress that we're making, like data science is being put out there. Like, how do we add fuel to that fire? Well, I, I think that you have to engage your teacher educators with those types of projects. I mean, they have to see that they can do a larger data investigation um, and you know, to solve a real problem and really get immersed in that and, and see that, wow, this is, this is exciting you, that, you know, realizing, you know what, this is probably the lessons in your class that your kids are not going to ask, why am I going to ever use this? Right. Because yeah. they're going to know they're doing it right then. You know, they're, they're, they see the real world applicability of it. Um, and so I think they have to experience that and they have to then become advocates and comfortable with going into the, going back into their classrooms and, and seeing that, um, you know, the curriculum um, sequence puts statistics, you know, the statistics lessons towards the end of the year, I need to make sure I save time for those and not Mm. squeeze them out, you know, or maybe I need to put, you know, maybe I need to advocate for moving them to the beginning of the year because they can lay a strong foundation for other ideas. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually want to add in here. I just uh, was sharing with a bunch of people that I changed the curriculum in one of my courses to um, attach to 
do measures of center first mm -hmm. because I teach most everything in context now. And to ha you have to have a really good understanding of what mean, median, and mode mean to really understand things. And so in some sense, there's an argument for pulling it up front, which will help you understand other things better right. as well. Right, right. And, 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 and because it's not just about the, the concepts of statistics and probability and data science, it's about having a curious and creative and problem solving and perseverance, all of the different, um, you know, the, the, the soft skills, the dispositional skills that we want our, our teachers and our students to develop. And you can natu you naturally do that when you're engaged with a data investigation. And we want them to understand the world and they need to know that to understand yeah. the news and the, all of that. And I know Dusty is probably looking at us because we have to wrap up, but this is such <laughs> a good conversation. Nope. Nope. Just looking around. Um, <laughs> Holly Lynn, could you tell us a little bit about uh, data science for everyone? Yeah. So org. Yeah, so datascienceforeveryone.org um, is a, a relatively new initiative um, that, you know, lots of, lots of good people from across the country have really gotten together to think about um, how to promote the ideas that, um, that we need data science in the K-12 curriculum, that there are some resources out there. We're not starting from scratch. There are lots of organizations that have been, like I said, it may not have been called data science before, um, but they've created a lots of different materials. And so they're very much of an advocacy group mm -hmm. where um, they're, they're writing um, position statements, they're getting involved in um, different professional organizations to help get the word out. They're, they've got a wonderful website that allows you to search for um, different projects and different activities so that you can find things. Um, if you want to find curriculum material for, um, for uh, improving, your, improving your own practice as a K-12 teacher or as a teacher educator, there's different resources that you can find there. So in some ways, it's kind of a hub of, um, of, of resources. But for example, they just, um, they just closed out a lesson plan contest. Um, so, you know, they were inviting people to create lesson plans that, that were around data science. And eventually, you know, when um, th th those submissions are closed, but eventually those are going to be on their website and accessible. So I think they're trying to, to, to be a place for people to go and look for and to be, be an advocate for this. Yeah, it's uh, we'll put the URL in the show notes. It's data science for everyone dot org, but the four is the numeral four. Number four, uh, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. So can I can I put a quick plug in for some of the materials that that I'm currently working on? I was just going to ask you, what do you have to promote, Holly Lynn? So please, yes, yes. yeah. <laughs> so you know, for years. Um, I've been working with my colleagues, um, Rick Hudson and Stephanie Casey and Bill Finzer and Jima Majika at, um, that's with me at the Friday Institute. And we have a project called ESTEAM, which stands for um, Enhancing Statistics Teacher Education through E-Modules. And it started in 2016. And, and so we're now at a point where we have several different modules that we offer up for free. We're giving them away. Um, um, they're already packaged in learning management systems. So we try to make it easy for teacher educators to come to our site to be able to, and I'll share that link so you can put it in the, um, um, the materials, uh, Dusty. Sure. Um, but 
um, they come to they come to our site, they log in, and then they can download our materials and import them into their own learning management system, whether it's Moodle, Blackboard, Canvas, um, and then they can change them to fit in with whatever uh, other materials they're using in their course. Um, and so we're trying to make it um, portable and easy for teacher educators to um, to you know to come and learn and to get good materials to to use in their course. The other thing that we've got going on, so I mentioned earlier about um, doing MOOCs. Um, so this past summer, we, we launched another MOOC called Amplifying Statistics and Data Science in Classrooms. Um, and um, it, it's gonna be up there forever. So we decided to do kind of it, uh, do it in an on-demand format where um, teachers, can, teachers can come in and we've got two different modules that have five different um, units each in there and they can learn at their own pace to improve their practices in um, teaching statistics and data science. Um, it's completely free um, and it's available for teachers. I even had a teacher educator this fall um, using it with their methods course. Um, you know, so a friend of mine contacted me and said, hey, you know, I think I, it's kind of, you know, a piece that I know is missing in my course. And what do you think about me having my pre-service teachers sign up for your MOOC? And, you know, they've got to show me their certificate at the end mm -hmm. that, that they've actually completed these things. I'm like, sure, come on in. So um, that's, that's awesome. And that gives them kind of a, a head start on professional learning once they're right. in the classroom. Like, what can I do? Um, how right. can I, how can I do some of this? That's awesome. What else yep. you got? Well, the, we have a current NSF project um, called InStep and we have um, a landing page right now, um, but there's nothing behind the landing page. So it's, it's <laughs> instepwithdata.org and we're building a, um, what we've learned a lot from six years of doing MOOCs of um, how teachers actually really want to personalize their learning um, related to statistics and data science education. So we're, we're, we're designing a personalizable platform that uh, we're putting together different experiences for teachers and that they can go in and basically design their own adventure um, and choose what, you know, having enough material in there and then packaged in different ways that they can see what they need in the areas of pedagogy that they would like to um, to work on. And they can go in and work on a module specifically for that. So for example, if they really wanted, if they've been teaching um, statistics and data science for a while, they feel very comfortable with a lot of ideas, but they want to really improve um, their understanding of how to go get good data site um, data sets and to use different technology tools, they could go and use, you know, do some modules about um, specifically about that. But if they're just starting, um, they could start with a data, doing a data investigation themselves where they're diving into um, a real context using CODAP and, and kind of learning, learning on their own of um, how to engage with data and then go and start working on some modules of how to improve their pedagogy. That is awesome. So in the show notes, we'll have links to these things. People can choose their own adventure with yeah. one of some of the many things that we have there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so I, much, Holly Lynn. Can, That's just can, great. Yeah. Can I give one more plug? And I know, I, I know we're running out of time, but this is related to something that Ava was talking about related to um, thinking about data literacy for, for all and, um, and thinking about equity and social justice issues. One of my projects called writing data stories is a partnership with some science educators, um, Michelle Wilkerson, um, at uh, UC Berkeley. And we've created some short activities um, that are si kind of like number talks um, um, that, um, that use uh, 
graphs from media. So we're, we're kind of going off the idea from the New York Times of what's, what's going on in this graph. And, um, but we specifically ask questions that have a social justice um, lens to them to get students to really understand who is represented in this data, who's not represented in this data. Um, and what would that mean as far as my interpretation of mm. how I should use this data and how, how useful it is. Um, and getting them to really unpack visualizations um, through an equity and social justice lens. Um, and those are called data bytes. And we have a set of them that we that we are giving away for free. And they're already in like Google slide format so that a teacher can, you know, can use them right there with their students. And we have them um, fully bilingual. So they're, in, they're written in both English and Spanish. That's awesome. So we, All right, I, I'm been, done. I'm I've, done promoting. <laughs> I've been finding links. I'll, I'll keep, I'll double check these links. Uh, make I'll sure make I typed sure everything get, right. Yep, and I'll, I'll check sure them with you. Ones. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't want to put the bad link up there. <laughs> um, thanks so much, Holly Lynn. This has been great. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to this again, so yes. even, though, even though we're just doing this here. Um, yeah. And to our listeners, thanks again for listening to the teaching math teaching podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and we hope you're able to implement something that you just heard. You've had a whole list of things, and take an opportunity to interact with other math teacher educators, uh, just like Holly Lynn advised. Speaking of interacting, uh, what do you want to hear about in upcoming podcasts, and who do you want to hear from? Let us know through the virtual suggestion box. It's on the Contact Us page at teachingmathteachingpodcast.com. It's also in the show notes for this episode. 